Mark chapter 3, we'll begin reading verse 13. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, he surnamed them the sons of thunder. There was a reason for that. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. So we look here at Christ early in his ministry as he picks 12 men that will follow him and serve with him over the next three and a half years. I want to preach for just a minute on the subject of mentorship. We understand as a church the push here for evangelism, for reaching the lost. And I believe as a church we have to be very focused. And I'm thankful for those of you that share your pastor's vision, not just for reaching the lost. Uh, We want to plant the seed, and many of you plant the seed. And uh, thank God for the scores of people that are invested, that are involved every single week of the year. A uh, hundred plus, I'd say with Spanish church at times, nearing a couple hundred, we're, we're thankful for that. But that's not the end goal. Yes. The end goal is the salvation of souls. And with that growth, and that comes in personal discipleship, sometimes group discipleship. And I've had people ask me over the course of my ministry, Pastor, do you really see the need or the purpose of discipleship. Absolutely. You realize most foreign countries, uh, you're not circulating people's church members from one church to the next. If you're not winning them, you're not growing the church. And you understand, uh, the average person that goes through personal discipleship, individual group discipleship, is going to stick around. Uh, They need to know and understand some of the basics, basics, their personal walk with God, church membership and and tithing and those other matters. But then there's long-term discipleship. Don't think for a minute discipleship is over in 10 or 12 or 15 weeks. Uh, We want to see continual growth in the life of that believer and it takes a long-term commitment that takes place in different settings and the instruction comes in different ways uh, from team classes to church meetings, and we understand all of that. But I want to take it a step further because I believe the one part that we've underemphasized, and I say this in a general way as independent Baptists, is mentorship. And we, we like to uh, eliminate personal accountability in the Christian life. And one way to heighten that is the importance of mentorship. Now, we understand this starts in the home. It starts with the rearing of your children. That is instructional. That is a discipleship in a, a different area, different venue. We understand that's a home, but at the same time, uh, that involves and uh, evolves into personal mentorship. And if you're not doing that in your own home, that's a failure. You need to correct uh, there is, no, there is no perfect mentor. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have come under the mentorship of the Lord Jesus Christ? Three and a half years. Now, we say yes, but here's a man that knows your thoughts. Maybe, 
maybe you would squirm at the thought of someone discipling you who knew your every thought. And, but he handpicked these men. We, we see Christ chose 12. Now we understand he ministered to the masses. He, he wanted to evangelize and he sought to evangelize and help the masses. He preached and taught to the multitudes. But at the end of the day, a person only has so much personal time and energy and he handpicked 12. Why 12? Uh, I have no idea, but that was his thought process, 12. We understand that from there, there were three that were part of his inner circle. Now, look what it says. It's very important. I would highlight this in your Bible, verse 14. He ordained 12, that they should what? This is mentorship. That they would be with him. This, this is the high cost and commitment of mentorship. Let me just say, looking at the list, you know this, those of you that have read your Bibles and studied the life of the disciples, we're not going to do that tonight. These men were not chosen based on worldly qualifications. It wasn't because they had degrees at Harvard or Yale or had higher education. It wasn't, half of them we know were fishermen. And none of them had any prominent place in society. You say, well, Matthew was a tax collector. Among the Jews, that didn't give him a place of prominence because he betrayed his own nation by working for the Romans. So there was none here that had any elevated status. Matter of fact, when it, when it came to the group that was constantly hounding Christ in his ministries, we looked at uh, earlier on Sunday, these scribes and Pharisees, uh, it was really Christ poking them in the eyeball with 12 men who were substandard according to to the Pharisees' standards. But here's what he said. Now, when we talk about mentorship, we're not looking for people that are qualified according to the world. We're not looking for the people because of their personality, because of their IQ, or because of their education, uh, superior educational level. We're, We're talking about God will provide you in your life and in your ministry People that he wants you to invest in. Now, I'm speaking to spiritual leaders, and I want to preface this by saying as we observe what Christ did, he started by choosing these men after a long period of prayer. Look what it says in verse 13. He goeth up into a mountain, and he calleth unto him whom he would. Now, We know from the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, Luke 6 and uh, Matthew, that he spent this time on a mountain in prayer, an extended period of prayer before choosing these men. And he knew these men. But even then, he wanted to set an example. Now, people would say, Pastor, who are you investing in? Who are you invested in? I believe in preaching to everyone. I believe in helping everyone. I don't want to disturb you tonight. Uh, obviously, there's no way, uh, pastoring, especially pastoring both churches, that I can invest excessive time in everyone. Sometimes I do that in a church setting or a institute setting or a school setting or a chapel setting or a personal setting. There's just no way over the course of a day. I race from place to place, and whether it's a phone call or a visit or a sermon preparation and and you balance and you juggle time and you try to be efficient. I look at these kids. I was giving one of them a hard time tonight. 
the inefficiency of youth boggles my mind at times. I can't imagine being that efficient in living my life. I would, I would collapse through the exhaustion of inefficiency. But no matter how efficient you make your life and schedule, there's just no way to invest all the time in people that you would like to invest. And people that never make someone lesser or greater. But here's, here's what mentorship is. You have to pray and say, okay, who does God want me to invest additional time into? Those are men that I've picked as leaders. Those are men that I've picked as staff. I remember talking with Martin years ago. I said, I asked him, how, how do you pastor five, six, seven thousand people? He said, I don't. He said, that's impossible, which made sense. And then I felt foolish after I asked the question. <laughs> he said, I pastor my leaders, and then they have to pastor groups of people. That's the only way that can work. Amen. But in mentorship church, I'm talking to the spiritual leaders, then much of Christ's long-term impact was seen and realized through his mentorship of these 12 men. Now, we understand salvation. We understand his death on the cross. We're not minimizing any of that. His greatest impact was salvation offered to men and the purpose of his coming and dying and the shedding of his blood. I think the group that I'm preaching to tonight understands the context of what I'm saying. You're talking about a ministry that was three and a half years in length but over those three and a half years, he invested in 12 men. And the book of Acts is a continuation of that ministry through the men that he mentored. And his impact now, 2,000 years later, it's just mul multiplied in every generation. Yeah. The multiplication of mentorship, and that's what I want to emphasize to you tonight. Here's what happens long term. If you want to think beyond your life, I like one, one man said, I heard several years ago, uh, a man saying, for those that do nothing in their life, it's very important that they have a tombstone. So no one forgets what little they did. He said, but for those that have a life of great impact, like the Lord Jesus Christ, no tombstone is needed. Now we know in his case, he didn't stay in the grave, so no tombstone was needed, but there would never been a tombstone needed because of the great impact that's been had through every generation, and I want to make sure that my impact outlives my body, my physical life, and the only way for that to happen is through mentorship, reproducing myself in the ministry through people that I have invested in mentoring. And I look back, our ministry there in Argentina and then in Mexico, and I had people ask me, Came to Mexico and they'd ask, preacher, what'd you do differently? Why is your success here greater than it was? Well, that ought to be the way it is in life in general. If you were as stupid at 35 as you were at 20, you're hopelessly stupid. At some point, you've got to grow past that. At some point, you ought to begin to see those brain cells function. Christ here was guaranteeing his impact would outlast his physical life. And every spiritual leader ought to have people that he's investing in, that he is mentoring. And let me highlight spiritual, because if you're not spiritual, we don't want you reproducing yourself. Your life is out of control. Your, your spiritual life is out of control. Get yourself in order be, before you mentor anyone, please. But... 
if we place you in a spiritual position, it's because we trust you to be investing in people and you ought to leverage yourself in the knowledge that God has given you for the benefit of someone else coming behind you. The experience that God has given you, that doesn't mean you're perfect. Jesus Christ is the only perfect mentor that's ever lived. But here's what God has done. And especially let me speak to the crowd that's over 40. Now here's the good thing. We we have bus workers and some of them are 18 and 22 and 25 and they're mentoring some of those kids on the bus routes and I'm very appreciative of that. You ought to grow yourself spiritually so you can be a mentor at any age. And by the way, those of you that are 17 or 18, you should not be mentored by someone that is 18. Okay, there, there ought to be a spiritual chasm between you and your mentor. Spiritually, we're talking about someone who is capable of helping you, but people just, just because you have not had a perfect past there, I want to see the hands of everyone in here that says, I've had a perfect past. I'd like to meet that person because I'm I pastor and I didn't know that I pastored someone perfect. I'd certainly like to tell your spouse that, so if you'd raise your hand, I'd appreciate it. But here's what God has done. He's given you this knowledge and this experience to help you help someone else. And church, we can really speed up the process for other people, especially our young people, by making sure to take what God has given us over the past 35, 40, 45 years, investing in them to facilitate their success. If you're going through life, and you're taking everything that God has given you and everything in your life that you've experienced, and you're hoarding it. We have, we have spiritual hoarders. The value of your life is determined by what you do with what God has given you. In the area of instruction, investment, reproducing yourself, and intentionally passing on. Now, let me say this to our people in general, but specifically our spiritual leaders. Wherever you're at, spiritually in your home, but if you have a ministry here at Capital City Baptist Church, whether you're a teacher, ministry leader, whatever you're doing, the best thing you can do in life is come to the realization that the spiritual life is not a sprint, it's a, it's a marathon. And in that leadership position, you've been given a baton that you need to pass to the next generation. Have you ever participated in or seen one of those races, a marathon? And you see the first person, they run around the track. The focus has got to be upon properly passing the baton. And we've seen this in ministries and Baptist churches, in pastoral leadership where churches literally disintegrate. It's amazing what the previous generation, my mentors, it's amazing the success that they had in so many areas, but the extreme failure... They showed at the end of their ministry in passing the baton. There was no preparation made. And when you're in a marathon, here's what you do. You literally, you hold that baton and you don't even look back. You're sensing the coming of that person. You're sensing and you're supposed to be preparing a head start. But a proper passing of the baton is you don't even have to look back. You know there's going to be an exchange being made. Right? And the timing of that is you cross paths. 
saying, I've got to give this person a head start. I don't want to even slow him down. And here's what we want to do in ministries. I don't care what ministry it is. I want to be preparing this generation so when that baton is passed, no one is slowed down. You know what happens at the end when that race is won? There's not one person on the platform. No one person wins a marathon. Everyone wins. And if that baton is dropped, everyone loses. And church, we've, we've got to understand... Here's what mentorship is about. We've got a generation that has to get their hands on the baton, and I want to make sure they're running as fast as they can and running the race as hard as they can. I want to make sure we properly pass the baton, and that doesn't happen just because you walk out and say, I want to participate in the race. It takes a lot of practice. It it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort, and here's everything we do here is mentorship on some level. Now, it may start out in Donald's class as discipleship, but you know what you have back there? You have Oscar, who's been not just discipled, then group discipled, individually discipled, and then mentored. Here's why I have confidence in Oscar's leadership or Moses' leadership, because These men have gone through a process where the men that we have mentored are now mentoring. And if I trust the men that I've mentored, I can trust their mentorship. And now we have, after 13 years, we're seeing a second and now a third generation of people being mentored. Here's, here's why I'm thankful we can, we can look throughout the auditorium at, at people and young people and people on every level that went through the Bible college. I'm, I'm thankful for, for Jake now. You're, you're talking about Jake in an area of spiritual leadership where he came to us at 18 years of age. I remember the revival in Canada that we were holding when we walked the aisle and got saved and went through the discipleship process. And then group discipleship and group mentorship. And now is entrusted, sent forth to duplicate what was done in his life. How many remember David? Is a senior being suspended. It's a beautiful word for permanent expulsion. Suspended from school his senior year. Yeah. (laughs) And now, a spiritual leader that is mentoring young people. Well, pastor, do you trust someone who was permanently suspended his senior year? Yes. I hate to admit that publicly, but... (laughs) Because there was a process, and if you look at the lives of uh, these men that Christ took in... You, you say, why, why would you trust David after that? He didn't deny Christ three times and curse. Here's what it's going to take to, to mentor. It's going to take a, a great commitment. Here's what it says. Highlight that again. That they should be what? With it. most people, here's, here's what I don't understand. I talk to preachers all the time. I get calls all the time. Uh, pastor, we're looking for a teacher. We're looking for an assistant pastor. We're looking for a music director. We're looking for... Churches of 200, 300, 500 pastors that have been there for over a decade. And I never say this, 
But I always think, why aren't you reproducing leadership? The answer to that is it takes mentorship. And you know what that takes? Something beyond the superficial, something beyond a normal service, something beyond a a one-time Bible study, something beyond Sunday school. It takes time from your schedule to, you know what Christ did for three and a half years? Everything. I'm I'm thankful looking back in our ministry and I made the mistake in Argentina of not mentoring soon enough. And we went to Mexico. I said, I want, I want to fix that mistake. And we took some young men, and I, I told my wife, uh, on Mondays, uh, they're going to come over. They're going to be in prayer with us in the morning. They're going to get out in the construction site. They'll work around the house. Uh, they'll go soul winning with me. They'll go to discipleship together. I'm teaching them how to disciple. I'm teaching them how to win souls. Teach them how to clean a building. Teach them how to build a building. Teach them how to do all these things. And they're going to eat with us. And, and you know what those men... Uh, Alex turned out to be one of the best preacher boys I ever had. Edgar, my, my wife will tell you, that discipleship didn't start fun. One of the first days he was out there working at the house, uh, he, he took an ax, he was going to do a, a flower garden for my wife, and he put it right into a gas pipe. And all you hear is walking, he, he came in the house, and was panicked, look, he said, preacher, he's about 16 years old, preacher, I, 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 I don't know what I did, but it doesn't look good. And I wait, you just hear, like, yeah, I'm just glad we all didn't die right there. You normally don't want to hit a gas line with a pickaxe. And so we thought we got it all straightened out and, and fixed up, and a plumber happened to come over right away. And, and I said, now, now Edgar, here's, here's what I want you to do. Stay within these parameters. Try not to damage anything. And 20 minutes later, he walks to the house, another panic look in his face. I said, what this time? He said, I, I, I think I, I took out the, the plumbing pipe, the drainage. I said, Edgar, you know what I want you to do? Go outside the gate because I got some enemies across the street and I want you to go do to their place what you've done to ours. Now, I didn't know at that time. I don't think Kim and I had any idea that Edgar would become my Timothy in the faith and be a church planner and a soul winner deluxe and we're so grateful for Edgar and Nancy. You guys have met them and just what God has done in their lives. But at that time, we just saw a 16-year-old knucklehead. But I said, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to invest in Christ took this group of 12. And he said, I'm allow them to be with me because here's what happens. It goes beyond the superficial. Pastors and leaders, if they're more interested in image, then in mentorship and reproduction are always going to be disappointed and needing to call someone else to provide them what they should have provided over the course of their ministry through their own ministry. And church, we ought to be producing a multitude of laborers, preachers, missionaries, pianists, Sunday school teachers, helpers on every level, from janitors, I, I can't believe we go, we go to churches and, and pastors tell me, I, I can't find musicians, I can't find school teachers, I can't find, he said, how do you find school teachers? I said, they all come from our church. 
He said, you're kidding. You must pay him an amazing amount of money to get them all from your church. I said, we don't pay him anything. And then they just looked at me like I told the biggest lie on the whole planet. Church, what this body does ought to be biblical in its nature. You know what biblical it sound biblical doctrine is? It is not just winning that person, discipling that person, growing that person, and then having spiritual leaders mentor that person to a point he reaches a level of spiritual growth where he can mentor the next generation. You ought, to be, you ought to reach a point in your spiritual growth where you can say, Pastor has total confidence in me. Now, if, if you're wondering in, in your level of spiritual confidence from your preacher, you need to come ask me because I'm honest enough to tell some of you, no, I am not comfortable. You say, preacher, would you tell me that? Absolutely, I would tell you that in a very loving and kind way. Now, each mentor, every mentor should be looking for specific characteristics of, of people to invest in. If he chose 12, this wasn't flippantly, this wasn't half-heartedly, we know that all these men, with the exception of John, ended up becoming martyrs. So obviously, he chose well, with the exception of Judas. He chose very well. And let me say this, don't ever be frustrated because a certain person won't mentor you. And let me say this, now, those of you that mentor and those that help, I, I thank God for Pastor Robert and Pastor Bob and Ben. And I, you know what? He, there is no possible way. Ben is an incredible mentor, youth pastor. But what he has done for our young men from David, you know why David is here? After being permanently suspended? That's Pastor Ben taking him under his wing and saying, I'm going to invest in him. And there were people that didn't understand that. I had people that came up and asked me, why, why would he invest in David? Because he sees something there that he considers a worthwhile, long-term investment. And why doesn't he invest in my son? Because he sees something there that is not worthy of now, that doesn't mean your son's not worthy. It just means that mentor chose, and there's no way for it been to mentor every young person in this church. And I don't know if that's 12 or 6 or 3, but I know this. There, there is, I want to help everyone. I want, I want to invest in everyone, but you know what time does? Time reveals who is the most worthy investment. Donald is chosen, and some come and go, and others stay, and Donald is, well, pastor, are you in agreement? I don't have to be in agreement, because at the end of the day, that is Donald's time and money and talent, and there's no way for Donald to mentor 15 different people or 12 different college kids. His time is limited. He's got to say, I've got three here. I've got four here. I've got five. And there ought to be a time when, when his investment or your mentor's investment is great enough that you don't consume any additional time because you're teachable. Teachability has to be the first obvious characteristic. If you can't accept instruction and rebuke, 
I have no interest in mentorship. If you treat instruction as rebuke, I have no interest in mentoring you. I may keep you in the Bible college, but I have no interest in taking you so winning with me on a regular basis or taking you on a... Pastor, how do you choose who goes on trips with you? Or who... Uh-oh. It's called mentorship time. And we look back. I thank God. Mateo and Chris and Jonathan and Raul and... Thank God for those, not just that went to the mission field, but some stayed here, Kyle. And there's a distribution, and I appreciate it. Robert takes a group, uh, usually leaning towards the musical side. How many of you are glad pastor does not mentor <laughs> the future mu- musicians of the church? Can you imagine we call them the Billy Goat Choir? <laughs> that would make some national news, I would suppose. I'm looking for a high character, honesty, great worth, work ethic, desire. There are a lot of candidates eliminated because lack of gratitude. I determined about five years ago, I'm investing in gratitude. I just don't have any time anymore for ingrates. If, if they cannot just pour out gratitude, I say, you know what? I'll find you a mentor. Uh, he's four could tell, two red horns. Amen. I just, that wasn't in my notes. I'm looking for my notes to get back on track. It, it takes commitment, and that's why so many don't want to participate in it. You look at Paul with Timothy. He went with him. You look at Moses with Joshua. He went with him. That takes great commitment. That means personal advice and resources. You're going to take financial help. The best thing you can learn your, your spiritual life that the greatest investments are people, not stocks, bonds, gold, real estate. It's people. My legacy is not going to be found in a building. It's not going to be found in a gymnasium or a complex. I don't want anyone to come here and say, what an incredible facility you have. Because underneath that is incredible debt which is incredible poor testimony and poor judgment, usually. Not interested in that. You know what I'm interested in? Mentoring people that will mentor people. At the end of the day, if I die at 52, 58, 65, or 74, whatever age I die at, uh, you'll look at our young people and say, there's a lot of Pastor Thompson in that boy. And you know, I think I heard him preach like a billy goat. (laughs) Here's what you want to do. You want to make sure if you're mentoring that you're expecting more uh, out of those people every single day, just like like the Lord Jesus Christ did with the disciples, because at some point your goal is to do what? That he might be with them, verse 14, and that he might what? Two things. He said, I'm going to spend time with them to train them because at some point I'm going to send them for to preach. I got to send them out. We have this 
strange thing going on in Christianity that people are living so insecure. They don't want anybody to become independent. They don't want anybody to experience more success than they have experienced. Oh, God, pity us. You ought to say, I'm, I'm creating a group here that needs to become independent. I, I have pastors that tell me, I don't ever take a vacation. I don't ever leave my pulpit on Sunday. I don't do anything. They're trying to sound spiritual. And I want to say, you know how ridiculous you sound? If you've pastored that church for 20 years and you don't want to miss a Sunday, it's because you are a poor mentor. I love it when our people tell me, your staff, they are great preachers. That, that, thank God for the, the powerful preaching in the pulpit when pastor is absent. I don't ever get nervous about that. To the contrary, I want to claim it. <laughs> Amen. Everyone here, we, I think we established this 13 years ago when I came here. At that point, that we, we bucked the trend of Cap City philosophy because Dad basically said, if I point at you, that means get in that position of leadership and you die there. And my point is, is some moment in your life, you're going to be too shaky and quaky for that same level of responsibility. So facilitate your life by mentoring and reproducing someone that can take that spot. So at some point, you'll feel like while you're doing the job, you're actually vacationing. If Pastor Robert is feeling the stress of the music ministry at 50, like he did at 25, that's on him. Because he ought to be so training in mentoring groups and song leaders where even when he's gone, there's no drop in the level of our church music because the leadership and the choirs and the groups run by themselves if there's good mentorship. If, if Pastor Mark is not wherever his ministry has led him, you, you don't want to minimize even the sound booth. In the sense of I've given Mark specific responsibilities. Might be more sensitive than other ministries. Said, so if I look at you cross-eyed because the mic's not on, I don't need you to look at someone cross-eyed. I need it fixed. So mentor. Amen. I thank God from his staff because she's one of those teachers that I have used. And I thank God for each one that, that we have from Miss Alicia, Miss Beth, and the, the nursery, whatever ministry we have. I thank God for our teachers that have taken our college students and mentored them. But church, we have to have an entire church philosophy that says everyone in a position of leadership is in a position of mentorship. And you're in that race getting ready to pass the baton. Proper mentorship helps fast track the success of the follower. Now church, please understand this. If you're not fast tracking the next generation's success, you're not doing your job. You know what I want Chris to be as a missionary 10 times further along at his age and this stage of life than I was? 
I want to know his Bible better. I want to be a more well-rounded Bible preacher. I want him to be a better soul winner. I want him to be better financially and have his finances in order. In church, immunal mentorship is about taking these kids and giving them a head start and saying, where was I at 17? He should be further ahead. And ladies, this is with your daughters in their cooking abilities. You ought to say, my daughter ought to be a much better cook at that age than I was at that age. And men, this goes way beyond the spiritual. Whatever talent or ability God has given you, if you know construction or you know mechanics or you know welding, whatever you know, those kids in your household ought to know it better than you did at that same age. And whoever else you have around ought to know some of that information. That ought to be passed along. And here's what Christ did. He's fast-tracking the disciples. Why, why do you think this church at Jerusalem was so successful? Because the investment of Christ into their lives and ministry. And look what it says in verse 15. And to have what? Power to heal and to cast out devils. If you saw staff who was unorganized, inappropriate in their job, undeveloped, you know what that is? That's a reflection of pastoring. And if their followers are not being properly taught, discipled, instructed, I don't mean perfect. I, I, I occasionally have people that give me a hard time Say, Pastor, is, is that your disciple? And I drop my head, I cover my eyes, and I say, yes. You just didn't catch them at their most perfect moment. They made a mistake, and we'll get it corrected. But Miss Terror, of all your pianists that are prodigies, played every song perfectly? No. What do you do after the imperfections of the song? You... Stomp on them or you encourage them? You encourage them that they can't still get better because tomorrow does not have to be yesterday. And you know what a good mentor is? It's an encourager that says, I'm not going to stomp on you because you messed that up. I'm going to pick you up just like Christ did. After the resurrection, he sent for the disciples and said, Tell them, and Peter, why do you highlight Peter? Because Peter just really messed up, was feeling really low. And he said, I'm not done mentoring him yet. I'm going to pick him up, brush him off, and make sure he has an incredible future. So church as a group, as a whole, uh, we, we've got to work together and say, we've got a lot of work to do, but just as Christ took 12, and he took three into his inner circle, say, Pastor, that... That, that means that man's playing favorites. Pastor Robert plays favorites because he doesn't treat all the college students equal. No, that would be stupid. You've got limited time. And some he teaches music and some he teaches construction and some he teaches remodel and some he teaches preaching because he's looking at their strength and saying, you know, we're in the business of doing hiding your weakness. I know some pastor... I'm going to make his weakness a strength. No, you're not. 
God did that to him. It's exactly <laughs> I, I had an instructor in college that thought he was going to make me a musician. And we both gave up. Thank God. Amen. You don't, don't try to take a weakness and make a strength. You've got to say, okay, I'm going to try to take this whatever ability God's given, strengthen it, hide his weaknesses. Maybe we can, maybe we can shore up his weaknesses. But at the end of the day, everyone here that is a spiritual leader ought to say, I'm supposed to be a spiritual mentor. And if you're not in a spiritual condition to be a spiritual mentor, you ought to work, say, by the grace of God. You start in your own house. 